So uh, I grew up as I was, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, like five, six, seven years old. I grew up in a really interesting time in film and movies. So I, I grew up, and the, the, as I was watching movies kind of progress, they, they kind of all followed the same pattern. So movies earlier in my life all sort of operated around a, kind of the same basic idea of a plot. So you have an intro, and then you have a rising action where things kind of start to get stirred up. And then in the middle of that rising action, you have kind of a point of tension. And then, like, uh, the tension builds and builds and builds up until there is this moment of resolution, and that, that is like the, the hero winning the battle. That is the, the major victory of the movie, right? Everything that you were wondering, every question you have starts to get resolved. And then you encounter the falling action where they kind of wrap things up and say, okay, that's the movie. That was kind of the way things worked as I was growing up. And then um, something changed. Uh, maybe it was 10, 11 years old. Where they did this thing where they started figuring something out you don't bring the resolution in one movie. Like you, don't, you don't just like give away the ending of the movie at the ending of the movie, right? You leave this sense of tension. Like this is the art of the cliffhanger, and this became a really uh, common thing. And so you would watch, and you would be engaged, and you would like let the tension build up inside of you, and it would keep building, and you would get really excited. Okay, okay, here it comes. And then you're like looking at your watch, and it's like, okay, we're already two hours in, and they still haven't resolved this thing yet. And so then all of a sudden the movie is over. Right? Like, that's the experience, and you are so, like, there is nothing more disappointing than expecting that payoff, and then you're waiting, and you're waiting, you're waiting, and it still doesn't come, right? And, like, Hollywood started picking up on how helpful it was to have that cliffhanger, because not only could you gross highly on one movie, but if you made multiple movies and left kind of people hanging on the edge, you would force, you would guarantee that everybody who saw that first movie comes back for the second movie. And so, so television shows, they, they picked up on this, like every new show that you watch now, every new show ends with a cliffhanger. They end with leaving you on edge about something. There is some element of tension that forces you to come back the next week and watch the next episode. And sometimes they end entire seasons leaving you on a cliffhanger to make sure that you're going to continue watching that show when they release the next season. Right? So some of the most epic cultural stories that we have, like most amazing cultural stories that we have, have milked this reality for everything that it's worth. I'll give you my first example uh, of something that has done this. The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Now, for what it's worth, The Lord of the Rings was written in three parts. It was a, a, a trilogy, right? So, so the movies were made in a trilogy. I didn't know this, though. I had no idea that this was how The Lord of the Rings functioned. I just knew that it was like a cool movie that I should maybe want to go see. And so when I went to go see The Lord of the Rings, I, you know, like, I, I, I get, like, invested in this movie, but every time I see this picture, because this is the picture for the first movie, every time I see this picture, I don't think about the story of the movie. I don't think about uh, how amazing like things were or how just like great writing or the, the makeup on the show was impressive. Like everything that they did on The Lord of the Rings was amazing. But when I see this picture, I don't think about any of that. 
I think about the year that I had to wait to find out what happens next. Like that, seriously, that is what happens in me. I'll give you another example of this. Avengers, Infinity War. Uh, there's a, an 11-year process being built up to this movie. They are telling over the story. Like, uh, I, I, I don't know the total number of movies. It's something like uh, 12 or 15 or something like that. The, the, the total number of movies are all moving in this direction. They're getting to this point, And then it ends on like the worst note in the world. And there's like major tension, no resolution, super disappointing, and the movie doesn't come out for a year. But when I see this, I don't just see the one year, I see 18 months because my, my oldest daughter was born when the, like roughly when the, the, the second version of this came out, the, the sequel to this came out, which means that it wasn't just a year for me waiting to see what happens. Like we're talking 18 months of me waiting to see what happens. Like, and that's what I see. I see the cliffhanger that I was left on in these movies. Like there is something about tension and resolution that is so universally compelling for us. There's something about our souls, in fact, that are wired for these things. There's something in us that longs to see resolution. Like we should know it's not an accident. Like that Hollywood has picked up on these ways that our souls are wired. That uh, some of these stories, the themes that they have, build up this tension and this idea of evil in the world. And then this idea that there's, there's coming somebody or something's going to happen to overcome the evil. Right? They, that story is so compelling. That idea is so compelling because it is the story that God has written onto history. This is the story that God has written on in history. He has implanted in us the visceral need to see resolution because right now we live in the tension and we keep living in the tension and we're on edge to see the resolution. So the last six weeks, we've actually delved into the reality of that tension. We've been looking at the spiritual war, what has caused that. So we've been going through this series, and we, we learned that the God, you know, he kind of created this world for good. He wanted his creation to be enjoyed, and this was a really good thing. But then in the middle of that good place, in the middle of the garden, there came a liar. And that liar, when he came into the garden, he told hum- humanity how little they needed their creator. He said... Uh, well, you don't need him because if you eat of the tree that he told you not to eat of, then you will be like him. Right? So, so you don't need to listen to what he says. Uh, he's holding back things from you. So believe me instead of your creator. And you know what our first parents did? They believed the liar instead of our creator. And so when we believed his lies, when humanity believed his lies, we kind of handed creation over to him and said, you take authority here. So this is now how that liar, Satan, has broken this world. And we've been looking at different examples of this, but there are three really key ways. Number one, his lies have set us against God. His lies have set us against God. So now there is brokenness in our relationship. We disbelieved him and we rebelled against our creator. And now our hearts are actually set Against him. That's the first thing he does. And then uh, the second thing is that his lies have set us against each other. 
right? So, so now there is competition in the world. There are people trying to see how they can outdo other people. And then shortly after he lies, uh, you know, Cain and Abel, they're there, and uh, Cain kills Abel, right? They have this competition against them, and Cain needs to overcome Abel through murder, right? So his lies set us against each other, and then finally his lies set us against creation, right? Because he gave us the ability to steward and care for and have responsibility in creation. But when we believed his lies, we neglected that responsibility. We failed to carry it out well. And so now all of our spheres of influence, all of our spaces, everything that we are in charge of now has the effects of his lies running in it. So then, like his lies perpetuates and, and chaos abounds and relationships are broken and we get sickness and disease in the world. The world is broken. Nations rise up against nations. Nations rise up against God and the knowledge of him. And, and even though elements of joy seep through in this world by the grace of God, there is yet still sorrow found in every space imaginable. And Jesus came to set us Right? We are taken captive to the brokenness, to the tension that exists. We are stuck under the power of sin and stuck under the lies of the evil one. And Jesus came and wrecked the power of sin at the cross so that he might set people free. So what does this mean? Well, this means that when the lies work to set us against God, we get peace with God through Jesus. When the lies work to set us against each other, we're called to learn to love each other understanding how it was that Jesus loved us. When the lies would set us against creation, we learned what it means to be better stewards of creation, stewards of our spheres of influence, stewards of our resources and our communities, and stewards of the responsibility that we're given. Right? So people saved and set free by Jesus, they're actually like we are the beginning of the resolution. Like that, that thing that Jesus is doing in the world to resolve the tension, we are the beginning of that resolution. Like we meet and gather and worship and advance God's mission and talk about what's happening over there in the park with Crossroads because we believe that we are the beginning of that resolution. We're facing the liar up front and we're taking ground in his territory, right? We're seeing things redeemed and ground taken. But the hard reality is that no matter how much we are able to advance that mission, however, no matter how much we see that resolution start to come about, the tension still exists. Like we can't see the tension completely undone. Because no matter how well we do our job, the vast majority of the world will still be at odds with its creator. Like still, you will still have people versus people and nation versus nation. And you will still have creation increasing in brokenness as humans rule it. Right? So, so today, what we're going to talk about is the good news that resolution is coming. The good news that Jesus is actually doing something that will bring full resolution to these realities. So in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. 
sealed with seven seals. So just a little bit of background. Jesus, our amazing victorious king, has appeared to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, John ended up at the Isle of Patmos because Christians were under incredible persecution under the rule of the Roman Emperor Domitian. And so Domitian, he comes along and uh, he starts uh, kind of doing all of this persecution. This is a guy under like incredible influence of that liar that we were talking about earlier. And so uh, the Roman authorities know that John is very influential in the Christian church. And they want to get rid of his influence. So they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. Now, there's nobody else at Patmos besides John. Like, they exile him. They sent him away from people where he can uh, not be around other people so they can take away his influence. So this is incredibly ironic. The darkness and the power of the darkness takes the Apostle John and sends him to the Isle of Patmos so he won't have any influence. And then Jesus appears to John and says, John, I have a message for you. And that message is going to become one of the most influential messages in the history of all the world. He says, I'm going to show you things that are taking place now and will take place. And this is what you need to do. You need to write them down. So Jesus shows up to John and a little bit later, Uh, John is invited to kind of look behind the curtain of existing realities. So Revelation uh, chapter 5 is kind of part of that vision that John has. So John is exiled because of the darkness in this world. uh, And John says, or sorry, Jesus says to John, hey John, let me show you something. And so in the middle of this vision, John sees God the Father sitting on the throne. And he has in his hand this scroll that we're talking about. So here's just like a little bit about the scroll. Kings had scrolls to deliver their judgments. Like that's what kings did with scrolls. And this is not just any scroll, by the way. This scroll, most scrolls are written on one side. This scroll is written on both sides. It's meant to tell us kind of the completeness of the things that are inside of this scroll. This is highly unusual. And it tells us that these judgments are very comprehensive. So what John, when he sees God the Father have in hand this scroll, this is what he understands about this scroll. The scroll is God's resolution to the dark tension. It is what God has written down to resolve the darkness. It is how he intends to carry out the resolution. And so The scroll is sealed. Now, this is pretty common that the scroll would be sealed. Kings all the time would take their signets and seal scrolls. But this scroll is sealed seven times. So it doesn't just have like one mark of one seal on it. But it uh, it has seven seals on it. It is completely bound up. That's kind of the idea that we're given. No one can read what it says. So, So what you get is you have... All of this tension existing and then God saying, I can do something about the tension. He has in hand the scroll that can do something about the tension, but it's sealed up. It's like locked away. Nobody can get to it. So Revelation 5, 2. I saw a mighty, mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? God has in hand the resolution, but there needs to be somebody who can open the scroll. 
Like the scroll needs to be open. Somebody, so, so this is our cliffhanger, right? Darkness is reigning. Uh, believers in God are being persecuted actively. Injustice abounds in the world. And the answers to all of it are contained in this scroll. So verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. Imagine the resolution to every source of everything that has gone wrong in the world. Every source of suffering can be found. But at the end of the day, there's nobody there to actually do anything with it. Like this is kind of like you have a, a family member. Imagine you have a family member who has a very awful disease. And the officials in the hospital tell you, actually, there's a cure for this disease. But here's a problem. It's locked away in some room, and none of us have the key to it. Like, none of us can actually get to it. There's something that can be done, but there's nobody who can actually get to that cure to help you get rid of this disease. So imagine being John for just a moment, the, the, the Apostle John, uh, his reality. He has friendships, relationships built, family members, church members that he has invested in. He's, he's just seen life after life after life changed by Jesus. Like just in powerful ways, things have happened. And then as he kind of leads the churches that he's called to lead, he sees false teachers come into some of those churches and lead some of those people astray that he had seen come to know Jesus. He uh, sees other family members of his who get taken prisoner by the Roman government. Other friends of his who get scattered to surrounding areas. He can't actually be with them. They have to say tearful parting goodbyes because of the intensity of the persecution in the current place that they're staying. People you know and love killed. And then to top it all off, the Roman government takes you and puts you on an island with nobody else. You're there by yourself. This is the power of the darkness. And you know there's resolution. You see in hand the resolution, but nobody can actually do anything with it. And so John is caught up in the moment of this experience. He thought for sure that he was going to be able to see something done but his, he, like in the moment, what he believes, what he intuits, as he, he recognizes there's nobody to take the scroll, the darkness will last forever. That's why he weeps. That's why he kind of uncontrollably sort of just loses himself, because he thinks the darkness is going to last forever. So verse 5, John says... One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. How has he conquered? Well, he came as a human being. And then as a human being did ministry in the world and changed lives and healed people and showed the amazingness of his character, who he was, and then that all led to a point where he bore in his body the weight of darkness. And then he claimed his kingship by going to a cross. 
he let the wrath of God be poured out on that darkness. So Isaiah 53, 5, it says it like this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. When it talks about this idea of the, like the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, all of this is language referring back to the prophets of the Old Testament. It's all talking about this promised Messiah who was coming. And Jesus is that Messiah. And this is what that Messiah was going to do. He was going to suffer and die and allow upon him the punishment that would pay for sin. That would bring us peace with God. By payment of his life, he ransomed us and invited us into the resolution that he was working in the world. So, you know, we kind of addressed this in the initial sermon in this series. We asked the question, you know, why didn't God just like obliterate Satan outright? Like, why didn't he just outright undo his lies and undo everything that is wrong with him and just fix the world? Why didn't he just do it? And he certainly could have. I hear uh, what you're saying. And if he did, we would have been obliterated as well. Right? Like every human being for all of eternity would have been objects of his wrath. And that option was certainly on the table. But instead what he did was wait and send Jesus. So that by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he might set people free from the darkness. Right? So he first conquered for us by dying for us because he loves us and because he conquered in that way he is worthy to shatter the darkness and set creation right so verse six and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders i saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain his death for sin is where the image of the lamb comes from. Because in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Israelite religion, the lamb was the Passover sacrifice. Right? And so you see this lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb, and they are the same person. They are Jesus. They are the images that represent his conquering through making himself a sacrifice for many. So verse 7. He went... And took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So remember John's distress. Everything that was going on inside of him. His weakness, his frailty, and his weeping at seeing the fact that there was nobody to take the scroll. Well, he believed that no one would do anything about the darkness. That it will last forever. That it won't be undone. That it won't be made right. And in a moment, he has this utterly hopeless experience. In a moment, John pictures a world where Jesus, what he has done, actually doesn't matter. And it's an awful thought, right? But now John is seeing, when he witnesses, when the angels in heaven draw his attention to the lion of the tribe of Judah, draw his attention to the lamb, John sees that what Jesus has done actually does matter. Because he, Jesus, is going to pick up the scroll that God is handing down. Right, and in opening that scroll, he will start to bring about the resolution that will shatter and break 
the darkness. And so all of heaven realizes this, this reality, that tension, the tension is actually going to be resolved. They all realize it at the same time, and everything stops. Revelation 5, 8, they all look at this. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Everything in heaven bending down before Jesus. And what do they do? They worship. Verses 9 and 10 say this. They sang a new song. Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They proclaim in their song the wonder of what Jesus has done. Satan's lies have led nations astray. For what it's worth, you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 11. You, uh, after Satan has told the lies and then God has judged the earth with the flood and so it's kind of like we're trying to start new and so you see new nations start to form from Noah and his line and then you get to this point where everybody's all together and they're all working together and speaking the same language and they get this idea in their head, that we're going to build a tower to prove to God that we don't need him. We're going to build a tower and lift ourselves up high above everybody. We're going to get to heaven on our own. That's what they decide all together. And so they continue to show that they believe the lies of the evil one. And while they're lifted up there on the tower, God takes their languages and he, he splits them. He shatters language so that it goes everywhere. And then people go throughout all the... We get nations, like peoples and tribes and languages and nations, because of what happened at the Tower of Babel, right? Like that's, that's the reality. So God shatters their languages and splits out nations because of the lie of the evil one. Because humanity had united themselves against God. So what has Jesus done? Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and nation and united them in himself to prove his power over the evil one. Because the evil one had united all people against God, Jesus has now gone to all people and given himself as a ransom that he might buy them back. And the rest of the book of Revelation shows how Jesus, in buying all of those people and improving himself to be worthy, then ruins the work of the evil one. Right? There's judgment against people who follow the evil one. There's judgment against the world that he has authority over. And because this one, Jesus, was found worthy, the resolution of the story is able to move forward kind of to this final point of face-off between Jesus and Satan. And this is where we're getting to today. All of the story that we've been telling about the spiritual war, it's all heading to a certain point in history where there will be this face-off. And... I want you to understand what happens with this, this face-off. Satan amasses armies of people. 
he works to tell lies to people. He gathers the armies of the earth. And uh, there's this like place, what, what's described for us is there, there's, there's this place where the people of God are, and Satan is getting all of these armies to kind of gather in and surround the people of God. Notice that Satan doesn't take the armies to face off against Jesus. He takes them against God's people. And, and the idea that you get as the story in Revelation is told is that like he's going to try to sneak in again. Right? He's going to try to accomplish the same thing, maybe even that happened back in the garden. So, Revelation 29. This is all of the story of Revelation heads up to this point. 20 verse 9, it says, They marched up. That's they, by the way, is Satan and his armies marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Satan isn't going to fight God. He goes against God's people. And if you stopped here, there are a series of things that might happen next. Like if you didn't read the rest of the story from this point, you might think, okay, so there's about to be this like big, epic battle. Like there's going to be this like massive war and there's going to be a lot of fighting or maybe there's going to be like another deception that takes place here and the story's going to continue on and there will continue being tension because we've lived in the tension for so long, but none of that happens. In verses 9 and 10, this is what it says. It says, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. That's it. That's the story. Like, that is the resolution to the tension. What happens is in an instant, those who stand against God and his people are undone and sent to eternal judgment. And, And then there's no battle, there's no fight, there's no contest. There is just the single, clear victory of Jesus. And at the end of God's judgment against the world, he finally and instantly undoes the evil one. So let's talk about what that means for us. Because we talked about the schemes of the evil one and the havoc that he wreaks, the chaos he creates. What that means for creation is that there's no more doubt, that trust abounds, that there's no more sorrow, that joy abounds, that there's no more fear, that security for God's people is clear, that there's no more relational discord because unity abounds, because all of those things are things that he's constantly seeking to destroy. And Satan, in an instant, is defeated. And then creation can finally become what God intended it to be. Okay, so what? I have two this morning. Number one, If you have not trusted in Jesus, stop holding out and trust in Jesus. Stop holding out and trust in Jesus. Like the reality is, judgment is not just coming against Satan. It is coming against everyone who stands against God. And the Bible says that like in our nature, we all stand against God. Like, we think we are the best decision makers. We think we know what's best for us. We think we can be our own God. We think that we'll use God for what fits best for us and neglect him for the rest. This is our tendency because we have trusted the liar instead of our creator. And God is gracious. He has provided a way of escape through Jesus so that everyone who trusts in Jesus is not called an enemy, but a beloved child. 
Jesus takes our judgment and we get set free to partake in the new world that Jesus is making. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, I would just like plead with you. Whatever you need to do, whoever you need to talk to, whatever you need to figure out in your own soul, don't waste another minute not going there. So what, number two? This morning, I am going to invite us into deep worship of Jesus. So um, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then after I've, I pray, what I've asked, I, I've asked a few people here this morning to read some scripture for us. So, so I'll have some background music going underneath as they read that scripture. They're going to read some passages. And what those passages describe is the new creation that God is bringing about after the liar has been removed. Right, so we're going to listen to these passages together and we're going to let these passages stir up worship in our hearts for Jesus. Because these are the promises that come with his return. These are the hope that come when the darkness is undone. And church, these passages are the resolution to the tension. So would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for the amazing promises that you have given us, that you are coming again. That you are coming and that in your final coming, that you will undo all of the power of darkness everything that has ruined the reality of this world. So Lord Jesus, as we gather here this morning, as you direct our hearts, would you direct them in worship? Lord, let these promises of what happens in your new creation fill our hearts. This is because you are removing darkness from the world. So set our hearts on these things and then this morning as we continue in worship, Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? Would you fall and would you fill our hearts with joy and peace and wonder at who Jesus is? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I've asked you to read scripture this morning, I invite you, you can go ahead and make your way up and then uh, you'll just stand behind Don. You'll move one after the other. Uh, behind uh, Don up to the microphone to read the scripture for us. So, Pastor Don, go ahead. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
for the former things have passed away. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or light or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its glory will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.